joined my current laboratory as a postdoc so that I could explore circuit-level activity in the brain. My previous work concentrated on the cellular and often molecular level of neuronal function. So I wanted to expand my purview and learn about neuronal activities from a broader view. I've started by implanting 32-channel neural probes into the hippocampus of rats. The craniotomy is reminiscent of ice fishing. I remove a circular area of the skull immediately above the target region. Then I lower the probe like a fishing line down past the cortex and into the layer of the hippocampus to which I'm aiming. The neurons are my fishes. The key difference is, of course, that if I fuck up ice fishing, I don't kill the lake. But I was taught by a pretty good surgeon, fortunately for my rats. The procedure enables me to record from maybe 10 individual neurons, if I'm lucky. This summer, I'll have the opportunity to work with the state-of-the-art the NeuroPixels probe engineered by iMac in Belgium. These devices have up to a thousand recording channels packed onto a single hair-like shaft about a centimeter long, and iMac is continuing to improve upon the design and expand the number of channels. My colleague from Belgium, the surgeon who taught me the implantation procedure, will be joining me in the lab to implant NeuroPixels into the prefrontal cortex of our rats. This might allow us to record from 100 individual neurons at the same time. The reason I am describing this to you is to point out that we are a long way from conducting anything like the experiment I'm about to describe. The experiment fits firmly within the realm of thought experiments. Imagine an apparatus that enables the perfect control of every neuron in the thalamocortical system according to a computer program. Let's call this device Winters' Demon. I've always wanted a demon. In effect, we need a computer connected to billions of recording and stimulating electrodes, each situated at the axon initial segment of a single neuron. The computer could simultaneously record the firing activity of every neuron in the thalamocortical system, and a program running on that computer could instruct every neuron to fire an action potential with perfect temporal precision. Obviously, this system would make discovering the neural correlates of consciousness a hell of a lot easier than it is currently possible. Let's use Winters' demon to run a thought experiment. First, we connect a conscious subject to the apparatus and, re and we record the firing behavior of the entire thalamocortical system. Let's say we capture a 15-minute recording. Everything that is seen, heard, thought, or otherwise experienced occurs within the signals that we've captured. Now let's have the computer turn that recording into a program for stimulating each neuron to fire action potentials in the precise sequence that it fired during the 15-minute recording. But we don't want a new experience occurring in the subject's thalamocortical system to interfere with the program when we run it. So let's administer a hypothetical drug that completely blocks synaptic transmission throughout the thalamocortical system. Remember that neurons communicate with other neurons by means of action potentials, but they do not do so directly. When the action potential arrives at the end of an axon, a signal cascade causes the release of neurotransmitter at the synapse with another neuron. That neurotransmitter interacts with receptors on the other neuron, and by this mechanism results in a change in its membrane potential. This voltage change propagates into the neuron and makes it either more likely or less likely to fire an action potential of its own. By using this drug in our thought experiment, we prevent any action potential in the thalamocortical system from having any effect on its targets. There will be no exchange of causality. Instead, the computer program will drive the cells to fire exactly according to its program, and we run the program that replicates the 15-minute recording that we captured before. 
So what happens? Every neuron fires exactly as it did during the 15-minute recording. This symphony of action potentials is carried off precisely. We can even record the activity at the same time, and our new 15-minute recording will be exactly the same as the one that we recorded from the natural activity before. Will the subject have an identical experience? No. I hypothesize that the subject will experience absolutely nothing. According to causal structure theories, such as integrated information theory, and the temporally integrated causality landscape, consciousness is emergent from the brain, but cannot be reduced to the sum of the neural activities. Interestingly, the behavior of the subject will be a precise copy of their behavior during the original 15-minute episode. The reason this has to be the case is that the neuronal output from the cortex, including the motor cortex, for example, will carry on according to the computer program. The drug we provided to block synaptic transmission, we said, was limited to the thalamocortical system. So action potentials that exit the system and end at synapses elsewhere will result in normal downstream activity. So the computer program will play the subject like a puppet, a zombie puppet. Note to self, I should start a thrash metal band called Zombie Puppet. In The Conscious Mind, David Chalmers argued that it is logically possible to have a world identical to ours in the absence of consciousness, one composed of zombies. Chalmers wrote, quote, what is going on in my zombie twin? He is physically identical to me, and we may as well suppose that he is embedded in an identical environment. He will certainly be identical to me functionally. He will be processing the same sort of information, reacting in a similar way to inputs, with his internal configurations being modified appropriately and with indistinguishable re behavior resulting." Unquote. In my thought experiment using Winters' demon, we have produced a zombie, but we have done so by mimicking an actual conscious period, the 15-minute recording of natural brain activity. This zombie could easily be distinguished from a normal person in that it would be utterly unresponsive to the outside world. You could talk to the subject during the stimulation program, and they would not hear you because we blocked synaptic transmission. The subject would simply carry out the program. But as I've argued, the subject will not be hallucinating the same experience that they had during the recording period. Why not? The answer comes down to integration and causality. In an integrated system, each element or neural node exhibits some degree of causality on each other element. So an excitatory neuron in the integrated system, upon firing one or more action potentials, influences other neurons in the system directly or indirectly to produce action potentials of their own. These, in turn, upon firing action potentials, influence others, and ultimately the original neuron as well. Each neuronal element is subject to both cause and effect. This is what makes it a system. The system is something above and beyond its constituents, just as a machine like a bicycle is more than a pile of metal parts. The arrangements of those parts into a machine enables the thing to do its work. The pedal moves the gear, which moves the chain, which moves the wheel, and so on. Suppose we made an accurate cartoon animation of a bicycle. Since the animation is an accurate portrayal of the bicycle in action, the pedal moves, and the gear moves, the chain moves, and the wheel moves, but this animation is not a machine like a bicycle because the pedal doesn't cause the gear to move, and the chain doesn't cause the wheel to move. If we produce this animation using a computer program, then the computer is responsible for all of the events that we see. This is analogous to what occurs when we run the computer program in our subject's brain. The computer program is causing all of the individual neural elements to fire action potentials. A massive feed-forward process is directing the thalamocortex. 
This contrasts with the massive integrated process that was taking place in the recorded natural function. A new system has been constructed in this experiment, one in which the thalamocortical system has been possessed by Winters' demon. The computer program directs each neuron to do its bidding, but the neurons have no influence on the actions of the others. All causality is in one direction, from the computer to the neurons by way of the stimulating electrodes. I don't see how a system like this one could ever be conscious of anything. By contrast, when the thalamocortical system is functioning normally, a substantial portion of it functions as a single integrated system, one in which causality is going forward from any element and back again to that element in the form of feedback from other elements. Input feeds into this system and output feeds out of the system. Input is one direction, in, and output is in one direction, out. Neither of those is conscious. In fact, the lack of integration appears to be what distinguishes among brain structures which produce consciousness and those that are dispensable in consciousness. Removal of such structures certainly has consequences, but the presence and vividness of consciousness is fully preserved. The cerebellum is one such structure. The cerebellum has more neurons than the entire thalamocortical system, but its architecture is a huge quantity of feed-forward processors running in parallel. In their book Sizing Up Consciousness, Massimini and Tononi write, quote, This characteristic architecture of the cerebellum has been known for some time. It accounts for the extraordinary speed and precision with which this organ regulates movement and other functions. The setup of the cerebellum resembles a series of small processors arranged in parallel lines, each of which carries out a specific task with remarkable precision and rapidity. Take movement, for example. Each module receives two forms of input. On the one hand, motor signals provide instructions as to how a certain aspect of the movement is to be carried out. On the other hand, sensory information regarding the current state of affairs in the outside world. Each module compares the two signals, makes the appropriate calculations, and emits instructions for any necessary adjustments to prevent errors." Unquote. They go on to say, quote, "...these modules deserve gratitude for their crystalline efficiency, flexibility, and the incredible speed with which they perform their, their tasks. For all this, the cerebellum pays a high price. It lacks integration." Unquote. According to my theoretical framework, the temporally integrated causality landscape, consciousness is composed of meaningful contents established in the relationship between a large, integrated system and some number of integrated and differentiated subsystems existing within that larger system. It is integrated such that it composes a single massive entity with some non-zero degree of temporally integrated causality across all of its neuronal elements. A subsystem is a group of neuronal elements within that system that has a higher degree of temporally integrated causality than the system. The subsystems provide the contents which have meaning from the point of view of the system. This episode is about integrated causality. All that means is causality as it occurs within an integrated system. My term, temporally integrated causality, is a mouthful, but all I am referring to is the amount of causality across some group of elements over the amount of time it takes to achieve it. Causality is exchanged like currency in an economic system. Not all neurons and not all action potentials are equal in their effects. They are arranged in a complex but orderly fashion. The amount of influence or causality that one neuron firing an action potential has on another is dependent on a lot of factors. How far apart are they? How many synapses do they have between the axons of the first and the dendrites of the second? 
how many synaptic vesicles are there on the presynaptic side prepared to dump their neurotransmitter? How many receptors are there available on the postsynaptic side? Each of these factors has an impact on either the numerator or the denominator. The numerator is the amount of causality, and the denominator is how long it takes. This measure is not limited to an integrated system of neurons either. Does the thought experiment I have proposed favor the reduction of human consciousness to brain function? Yes and no. I have concluded that thalamocortical neurons and their action potentials are insufficient to produce conscious experiences. The system must be composed of integrated causality. So I argue that consciousness is reducible to integrated causality. In principle, a system of integrated causality can be conscious like us if it is large enough and only if it is organized such that subsystems can have a higher degree of integrated causality than the whole. Property dualists argue that consciousness cannot be reduced to brain function. On this subject, Patricia Churchland writes in Neurophilosophy, quote, The nature of subjective experience has seemed to many people so striking and so extraordinary that it has been invoked repeatedly as the standing refutation of reductionism. The argument from subjective experience has been most powerful, not in the hands of the substance dualists, who have to contend with complications of their ghostly substance, but in the hands of the property dualists. Although there are non-trivial differences among the hypotheses advanced by assorted property dualists, the crux of the shared conviction is that even if the mind is the brain, the qualities of subjective experience are nevertheless emergent with respect to the brain and its properties. Subjective experience, goes the argument, has a character and a quality uniquely and irreducibly mental." Unquote. I have often referred to consciousness as an emergent property, but I don't think that means ultimately that consciousness is irreducible. In the first episode of this podcast, I declared the assumption that all chemistry and biology reduce to physics. The brain is a material apparatus that exists in an objective world and carries out objective functions. Therefore, consciousness is an emergent property of physical processes. I suggested that consciousness is reducible to physics. Perhaps consciousness is emergent with respect to brain processes, but fundamental to the physics of integrated causality. Thomas Nagel has been a critic of the reductionist approach to consciousness. In his book, Mind and Cosmos, he writes, quote, We and other creatures with mental lives are organisms, and our mental capacities apparently depend on our physical constitution. So what explains the existence of organisms like us must also explain the existence of mind. But if the mental is not itself merely physical, it cannot be fully explained by physical science. And then, as I shall argue, it is difficult to avoid the conclusion that those aspects of our physical constitution that bring with them the mental cannot be fully explained by physical science either. If evolutionary biology is a physical theory, as it is generally taken to be, then it cannot account for the appearance of consciousness and of other phenomena that are not physically reducible. So if mind is a product of biological evolution, if organisms with mental life are not miraculous anomalies but an integral part of nature, then biology cannot be a purely physical science. The possibility opens up of a pervasive conception of the natural order very different from materialism, one that makes mind central rather than a side effect of physical law." Unquote. I suggest that consciousness, like everything else in the universe, is subject to reduction to physics. But I recognize that physics as we know it is incomplete without an account for subjectivity. 
The thought experiment I have described here suggests that a deeper understanding of causality must be achieved if we are to discover how biological systems produce minds. The amount of entropy in the universe is constantly rising, but the human thalamocortical system, when it is awake and sentient, might exhibit the lowest degree of localized entropy anywhere in the universe. Another way of conceptualizing my theory that the system has a non-zero degree of temporally integrated causality, containing subsystems with higher degrees of temporally integrated causality, could be described in terms of entropy. The system has low entropy relative to the nature around it, but the subsystems, while they last, have even lower entropy. This is achievable because of the massive amount of glucose being gobbled up by the active brain. Energy is constantly being fed into the machine, and consciousness disappears within seconds if you cut that energy off. The system I am describing as the substrate of consciousness is an entropy sink that forms a landscape upon which deeper sinks occur. Relative entropy might be the physical thing to which consciousness becomes reduced. Thank you.